Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Let's start out by thanking our Patreon contributors for the Ooh. week. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. They have access to our bonus episodes over there. Like a lot now. Somebody gave me the math on how many hours of content it is. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like 100 hours of content. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow, I can't believe someone did that. Maybe more, maybe less, but they were like, I don't remember who it was. That's cool. And I'm blanking because it's someone like I talked to. So that's really good. And you have access to all 100 hours right away. I don't know. You Don't quote me on that. But it was like 100 hours. I mean, it's not far off because we've had well over 100 episodes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. So this week we had Jasmine, April, Jason, Andy, Dylan, Melissa, Carolyn, Catherine, Tanya, Clark, Rhiannon, Abby, Emily, Aaron, Jennifer, Halo, and D. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, Desi. This is part two <gasps> of the Lamb Funeral Home. And where we left off last week, we had the mortician Ron Hast and his roommate slash friend slash boyfriend. Right. We don't really know for sure. They got beat up. Steven. Yeah. They got beat up by David Edwards, Dan Galambos, and Andre Augustine after Ron had threatened to expose the Lamb Funeral Home's unsavory practices. Right. Now, these unsavory practices, mass cremations, organ harvesting illegally. Stealing teeth. Stealing gold teeth. Weren't they doing other things? Uh, that was it. Well, we'll find out. Well, okay. and yeah, we'll find out. Now, Ron was not the only person in the funeral home business who knew that the sconces were up to no good. Oh. This was going around, like, the industry. This was, like, people were talking. It was industry-wide, but this guy was just going to expose it, but everyone kind of knew. Yeah, everyone was kind of talking, like, oh, what are the sconces up to? That seems like... Why are they they getting so much business? How could they... And they know from experience how difficult it would be to do what they were doing. Exactly. Yeah. One of these people was 24-year-old Tim Waters, who worked with Ron's business partner, Alan Abbott, at a limousine company. So there's a lot of connections, too, within this industry, at least in Los Angeles. Tim Waters also ran a business called the Alpha Society that provided clients with off-site crematorium services. What was it called? The Alpha Society? Yeah, I have no idea why. (laughs) Okay. So what the Alpha Society did is they provided clients with off-site crematorium services. Tim acted as the middleman in that he didn't personally handle the cremations, but he would find crematoriums and then deliver the cadavers to them and then return the ashes to the clients. 
So basically, they didn't have to drive to do it. He's like a travel agent for cremations. Okay. <laughs> like he has an office. So he created a position that technically doesn't really need to be, exist, except that people don't feel like doing it themselves, basically. Yeah, I guess he just is. He's like the liaison. Yeah. This is his business, the Alpha Society. No idea why it's called that. It sounds like a um, secret society or something. Totally. <laughs> Now, because he wasn't performing his own cremations, his fee was larger than that of David Sconce's because he had to make a profit. Oh. So his cremation service obviously cost more than just taking it over to the Sconce's. Right, because that's the service he's doing. Right. Yeah. But Tim knew that there was no way the Lamb Funeral Home could be charging such a small cremation fee while raking in so much money without there being something seriously sketchy right. happening. And did he use them? As a crematorium? Um, Was he one of the crematoriums they would use? I'm not sure. Okay. Tim spread the word about his suspicions to anyone who would listen, including his clients. So I guess he didn't use him. Okay. Okay. He he was like, did not like David Scott. He was like, these are bad people. One of the people Tim told was his friend Richard Gray, who was an embalmer. Upon hearing these accusations, Richard went to Lorianne and Jerry Lamb and confronted them about it. They laughed it off and said, of course it wasn't true. Then Richard went to David Sconce and said, hey, my friend Tim Waters told me that you were doing mass cremations. <gasps> and David said, well, guess I'll have to go have a little chat with your friend. Ooh. Tim Waters was himself a competitive guy in the funeral home business, and he was resentful of his friend Richard for wanting to start up his own cremation service. Yeah. He didn't want his business taken away from his. Richard suspected that it was actually Tim who had once cut the telephone lines in his new office, and also Tim who had slashed his tires. Whoa. Tim has a little bit of David Sconce in him. Yes. But... He actually thought he was in competition with an embalmer. Well, the embalmer wanted to start his own cremation service. Oh, I see. I see. I was like, I don't think that many people switch between the two. (laughs) Last minute. (laughs) Tim went out to dinner with Richard, and after their meal, Tim put a blank check down on the table. He said that he would pay him whatever he invested in his new cremation service if he would get out of the business. Richard said no, which infuriated (gasps) Tim. So Tim flipped the table over, dumping all the dishes, including a cup of hot coffee, right into Richard's lap. That's a dream, to flip a table. I was going to say it's a dream to to witness that, (laughs) someone else's table. I've never been that mad in the moment that I would have flip a table, but it always looks really cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I mean, it's border, and it is like crazy, Yeah, but it's... It's such a beautiful motion <laughs> to see. <laughs> like I would, that could be an Olympic sport for me. Like I would love to rate them. Like I just love seeing someone flip a table. It stresses me out so. Like I would love to witness it once. Someone else having a fight with someone at a restaurant. I would feel really bad for this. I don't want to see it in person necessarily, but I like seeing it like in a Real Housewives episode or something. No, I am saying like it stresses me out regardless. Like it is very dramatic and exciting, but I do think about like the food that falls on the ground. Yes, like that's true. There's always like a plate of like spaghetti and meatballs. That's why I could never do it because I will never put food on the ground. No. 
because I want to eat the food. I'll, I'll throw a wine glass maybe, but even throwing a drink away, I'm like, I don't want to waste my, like throwing a drink at someone's face. Right. It seems really fun, but I'm not going to waste my drink. <laughs> like probably one of the tropes in kids' movies that upset me the most was when someone's cake would get ruined. Oh. Like it'd be the two bakers carrying the tall wedding yeah, cake. Yeah, and they smush together because they can't see because it's so tall. Yeah, or like a kid <laughs> runs into them and the cake goes flying. Or they hit the table and it flies and then they catch it, but then it's a false catch and yes. then they, someone yes. crashes into them in like a unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> hate it. It's pretty stressful. to this day hate it. It doesn't stress me out that much because I do always think those cakes, those cakes probably don't taste that good. I could tell by the frosting. <sighs> I I was like obsessed with wedding cake when I was a kid. Oh. I had never had wedding cake before or been to a wedding when I was a kid. But for some reason, wedding cake, just because it was so like white and tall and majestic looking. I think the thing with wedding cake is that they make it so many days before. Yeah. Or at least a day or something When I before. found that out, I was like really upset. Yes. I think at a certain age, you, you realize that all like cakes can look really pretty and not taste good. <laughs> That was like a life-altering day for me. Because <laughs> now I'm like, I'd rather, I want to taste good. I don't want it to just look good. Yeah. I don't care if a cake looks good if it doesn't taste good. I agree. Uh, anyway. I want cake now. I feel, I feel like I could taste like a really moist cake. I can too, mouth. with a really good frosting. Yes. Oh my God. So Fuck. Good. Okay. Okay. So he flips the table over because he's very dramatic and very pissed that Richard won't sell him his cremation business. And that was the last time that Richard ever saw Tim alive. Oh. David Sconce had plans to expand his operation to Northern California. <gasps> he didn't just want to be the cremation king of SoCal. No. He wanted to be the cremation king of California. Ooh. The whole state. His plan was to buy a building in the Bay Area to store cadavers and then buy a crematorium in Bakersfield, which is in Central California. Oh. So he would like... Be commuting constantly between Bakersfield, the Bay Area, LA, back to Baker. Like that seems hard. Look, he wanted. It was about the status, probably. Yeah, I I own this whole fucking state. Um, could you not? Are crematoriums really big? Like, I'm just wondering why you couldn't get one in San Francisco. Well, the, it was too expensive to oh, buy okay. property. I see. That's why he didn't do it. But David was concerned about Tim Waters continuing to talk about his shady business practices. Wow. David Sconce went to David Edwards and told him that he had another job for him. He told him that a guy named Tim Waters who lived in Burbank was making trouble for him and talking shit about him all over town. Sconce told Edwards, quote, he's a real fat guy. Whoa. And he would have no problem beating him up. He then offered him $800 for the job. Edwards was, would also bring along Andre Augustine again for this job. Okay. Andre and Edwards sat outside Tim Waters' Burbank office in their car before they noticed that the police were eyeing them. <gasps> then a patrol car and a motorcycle cop passed them by, like, during this time, they're sitting right. outside giving them dirty looks. At this point, they knew that they were being racially profiled oh. in this Burbank neighborhood. So they got the fuck out of there. Yeah. Like, this is not yeah. worth it. And now we're on their radar. Yeah. Yeah, so. The next day, the two guys told David Sconce that they had beaten up Tim, even though they hadn't. Oh. And they thought this was hilarious. They 
spent the rest of the night laughing their asses off drinking at a bar together cool. with the $800 they scammed. Yeah. I know. I was They're like, probably like, we could just keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I support that scam. Me too. So though it's unclear if David ever found out if he had been had by his employees, one thing was for sure. Tim Waters was still going around town talking shit about his cremation Ooh. business. David then solicited the services of Danny Galambos. He told him not to take Edwards and Andre because they'd already beaten up Tim. <gasps> David said to break some bones this time, though. Ooh. And to make it look like a robbery. He said it was no problem if he even accidentally killed Tim because he could always burn up the body at the crematorium. True. <laughs> That's like David's signature move is like bragging about how he has a crematorium to burn bodies. I mean, it's really a bad combination like of a person who's very willing to kill and have like a body disposal. Like Absolutely. Galambos employed his large friend Christopher Long to come along for the job. <laughs> large well, he was also like a he was like a bodybuilder. Well, the, all these guys, his you know, the, uh, crew. the henchmen crew, the employees, they're all ex football players. But Christopher Long was actually a bodybuilder of some okay. kind. But he's large. Yeah, I like the name Galambos. <laughs> Dude, I love this guy's last name. Um. So he employs Christopher along to come along. They sat in their car outside of Tim Waters' office while Galambos ate a sandwich and drank a carton of milk. Ew. <laughs> what the hell? That is fucked up. <laughs> that is really awful. Can you imagine seeing a big man drink that milk? Ugh. Not the plot to assault someone <laughs> no, in, their, the in their place of work. You have to admit, it's more shocking. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a, oh, I can just picture that sight. <laughs> he then tossed the empty milk carton out onto the street when he was Awful done. <laughs> then he saw Tim arrive and go into his office. The men got out of the car and headed to the door. They entered the building where Tim was sitting at his desk. Christopher Long punched Tim in the face, breaking his nose. <gasps> Tim was on his ass and Galambos was hitting him. Then they took his jewelry off to make it look like a robbery, of course. They took off a gold chain, two gold rings, and a gold bracelet. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Shaba ranks over here. <laughs> then they left. But this beating did not stop Tim from talking oh shit. Oh, my God. I he, mean, you have to hand it to, to you Tim. You know what? <laughs> he was not going to let David Sconce win. No. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, 
big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Two months later, in April of 1985, Tim Waters grew incredibly ill with some kind of stomach flu. Uh Uh-oh. He couldn't keep anything down. And this was going on for, like, way too long. Tim called his mother on Saturday the 6th, and they talked for a bit, but he didn't tell her he was sick because he didn't want her to worry. He was at his sister's house in Malibu house-sitting. But he called his mom back later when he noticed that there was blood in his stool. He declined to go to the doctor, and he said that he would still be coming over to her house for Easter dinner the next day. Oh. That's when you got to go to the doctor, right? Well, because you're, at the very least, you're really getting dehydrated, right? Like, I mean, I've had food poisoning, like severe, all of that. And you get really sick and weak, like... Even if there's nothing, you know what I mean? Just right. normal food poisoning, which this right. is clearly a beyond. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's telling his mom, going to make it to Easter dinner tomorrow night. But the next day, he was still feeling like shit. And he wouldn't be able to meet his mom at mass, which Uh-oh. is something he always did. She offered to pick him up after, but he said, no, I'll drive myself. And he, and he was planning on driving up to Camarillo, which is okay. 40 miles or 40 minutes north of Malibu. He managed to get dressed, and when he tried to take a sip of water, the glass slipped from his hands and shattered all over the floor. Ugh. He was too afraid to pick it up because of how shaky he was, yeah. and he didn't want to like bend down and then stand up. 
Right. And pass out. In the glass. So he just left it there. Then he got behind the wheel of his black station wagon. His car looked like and was used for a hearse. (gasps) Tim made it to his mom's house safely, and he immediately went into his childhood bedroom and laid down on the bed. His mom came into the room and saw how sick her son looked. She wanted to call the doctor, but he said no again. He said he just needed to take a nap. Later in the kitchen, while his mom was preparing dinner, Tim confessed to her that he had written his will. He told her about the attack in Burbank and that he knew it wasn't just a robbery. He felt his days were numbered after he'd been talking behind the backs of the wrong people in the funeral home industry. Oh. Tim made it through dinner, though he hardly ate, and made several trips to the bathroom. He spent the night at his parents' house, and the next day, he was still looking like and feeling like shit. And now he was complaining of being cold. <gasps> Tim's mom helped her son get into bed. When he laid down, his eyes rolled back into his head. Oh, God. She screamed and called the paramedics. Tim was rushed to the hospital where he died. <gasps> Cause of death was not able to be determined immediately. The medical examiner's report showed no evidence that Tim had taken any medication or ingested any pills. There was nothing in his stomach at all because he hadn't been able to keep anything down. Tim's heart and liver were enlarged and he had congestion in his lungs, which the doctor chalked up to obesity. After weeks of examinations, the official report concluded that Tim died of natural causes as a result of obesity. Oh, my God. Though a toxicology exam wasn't done, the morgue did keep samples of Tim's blood, bile, and fluid from his kidneys, as well as samples of his organs. David Edwards later recalled that while talking on the phone to David Sconce, he said to him, The fat guy died. And that, quote, he had a heart attack, but he had a little help. Oh. Now, Edwards said that Sconce also claimed that he slipped something into Tim Waters' glass of water at a restaurant when they were dining at a restaurant at some point together, but he wouldn't elaborate. He was like, yeah, I slipped something in his water. David Edwards also claimed that David Sconce mentioned to him about wanting to have his grandparents killed. Oh. He was still on about that. And he was looking for a poison. He also wanted to kill his neighbor's dog with the poison, too. Whoa. This guy's asking everyone for poison. If you annoy this guy, he wants you dead, (laughs) basically. Right, the smallest infraction. Like, that's, it's like from 1 to 11. (laughs) There's like no in between. There is no, not even like I'm going to prank them. Can you just think of like in your life, every little thing that maybe annoys you here and there or someone annoys you one day, if you instantly went to killing them, <laughs> that's just like abnormal. <laughs> and you know what? Conversely, I would probably be dead a million times. Oh yeah. Same. I mean, absolutely. Of all the annoying things I've done in my life. Totally. Please. So Edwards told David that he didn't know about where he could get poisoned, but he knew of a book that might. It was called The Poor Man's James Bond. Oh. Now, this is, a, this is a real book, and Edwards had this book in his possession. The book had a whole section on different poisons and, like, subsets of poisons. Like, these are plant poisons, and these are chemical poisons, and that such and such. readily available. Or, or just, ca- just, like, yeah, just about them. Uh, and it also was a kind of book where you could learn how to make a bomb. You could also okay. learn how to make a silencer for a gun. 
Ooh. It's called The Poor Man's James Bond. There you go. Edwards gave Sconce his copy. David was not only loose-lipped with Edwards, he was also blabbing to Christopher Long and Danny Galambos about his revenge plots. He next wanted to go after a guy named Frank Strunk. (laughs) (laughs) Desi. He next wanted to go after a guy named Frank Strunk, who owned a cremation business. Frank's son, Stephen, actually worked for David, but David hated Frank because he refused to sell his business to him. Oh. Another business. Everyone's got to sell to David. And David, they won't sell it to David. They, they, that's their business. They yeah. don't want to sell their business. But David, so wants funny. To, David wants to buy it. Yeah. And he gets really fucking mad when you won't sell him the business. That's, that's the key. <laughs> that he gets mad when people don't do it. <laughs> so... Danny Columbos and Andre Augustine staked out Frank's business three separate times, but were unable to complete this job because it was just too busy of an area. They're like, right. we're going to get caught doing this. Stephen Strunk worked alongside his brother-in-law, Ron Jordan, at David Sconce's crematorium. Okay. So Stephen Strunk has a brother-in-law named Ron Jordan. Okay. They both work at David's crematorium. Ron ended up quitting because he couldn't take David's unethical and illegal practices anymore. Ron confided to Stephen about whether or not he should report David to and coastal cremations to like the board of funeral stuff. Yeah. (laughs) The official funeral (laughs) board of bad things. (laughs) Should I report him? He then left Stephen with the chilling words, if anything happens to me, it was David's fault. Ugh. Hours later, Ron Jordan was found dead in his apartment. Oh, my God. Ron was found hanged. He was on his knees with a rope tied around his neck that was attached to a pull-up bar. There was no note left behind, and his death was ruled a suicide. (gasps) Police also surmised that he had killed himself during autoerotic asphyxiation. Ooh, that's an early example of that. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, It's... I don't know what led them to come to that conclusion. Like, was he not wearing pants? Maybe some cop had, or detective had just heard about it. And he's like, what about this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why did you have to, you could have just said suicide. You didn't have to throw that in there too. I think that it, they want that's then a, that's an accidental death though. So it's a different type of death, right? Right. So this wasn't ruled homicide. Frank Strunk's cremation business ended up being sold to his son-in-law, Ellie Esteban. Now, Ellie was married to Frank's daughter, Cindy. David was still determined to buy that business, though, and Frank still refused to sell it to him. This was now his son-in-law's business. So the son-in-law is not doing it either. No. Yeah. David wants this. He's not getting it. When Ellie Esteban and Cindy Strunk decided to get a divorce, David introduced her to his brother-in-law, a guy named Brad Sallard. Now, meanwhile, David did get married. Oh, he did? Somebody married David Sconce. So his brother-in-law... So his wife's brother. His wife's brother, he's like, oh, I'll introduce you to Cindy Strunk. My ulterior motive's here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not trying to get this cremation business. (laughs) (laughs) During this time, David also found out that Ellie Esteban had a $250,000 life insurance policy. Oh. 
He had also witnessed Ellie push Cindy down a flight of stairs, so he knew what he had to do. Push him down the stairs. <laughs> no one's going to miss them, this guy, he thought to himself. David offered his employee, John Palarana, $10,000 to kill him. John said no. Later, one of David's other employees, a guy named Bob Garcia, told John, hey, David offered me $10,000 to kill Ellie. And Bob was like, I mean, I'll do it or find <laughs> someone else to do it. That doesn't seem like that much money. I'm concerned that you're asking multiple people to kill someone for you. That doesn't seem very, I mean, this is one of the most like bumbling criminal enterprises. (laughs) Like I can't believe he's getting away with 90% of this. He's very cavalier about asking people to murder for him. It doesn't seem like he has like a severe case of like whatever entitlement where you just don't think you can get caught. Right. Or like nothing bad will come of anything and you can get out of everything. Yeah. And then they're, they're paid off multiple times by getting away with everything. Right. David planned to have Ellie Esteban killed and then give his employee Jim Dane money to buy the business for David. Uh-huh. <laughs> the business would technically be in his employee's name, but it would really be David's. Of course. As for the insurance money, of course he was going to try and get some of that too. How? Well, <laughs> like I can't even think what business he has getting any of it. This was his plan. David assumed that because he would be the because the would-be widow Cindy was now in a relationship with his brother-in-law, uh-huh. that he would eventually see that money one way or another. He'd be like, "It'll be in my family if they get okay. married." <laughs> Just the nerve. Bob Garcia enlisted the help of his friend Herbert Dutton to kill Ellie Esteban. They planned on blowing him up with a car bomb. (gasps) Whoa. David Sconce and Bob Garcia sat outside of the gas station that Ellie owned with a pair of binoculars. Because David needed to point out, like, that's the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. This is so inept. (laughs) David... (laughs) So while they were sitting there with with their fucking binoculars spying on this uh-huh. guy, Frank Strunk appeared out of nowhere. Oh, shit. And he said, hey, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and David said, just the gas station. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is so... I'm watching Dexter right now, and some of some of the Dexter storylines are very similar where he keeps facing obstacles like that. <laughs> and they have to call off the killing or whatever, yeah, you yeah. know? And so it's like, uh, it's just so stupid. They don't think anything through, but Frank told his daughter, Cindy, that David Sconce and his employee were seen spying on her soon to be ex-husband at the gas station. And she demanded her ex bo- or her current boyfriend, Brad Sollard, who was David's brother-in-law, tell her what the hell was going on. Of course. He was like, nothing. And she was like, well, I'm afraid. Why are they spying? It's on- creepy. Why are they spying on Ellie? So she broke up with Brad, and he was like, okay, but don't tell anyone. Ugh. And she was like, what? And he was like, you better watch your back. Shit. Because that plan to kill Ellie was falling apart, David called Bob Garcia and was like, it's off. The plan's off. Don't kill him. Well, yeah, they got busted. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Galambos refused to kill David's grandfather when David asked to poison his water jug. 
<laughs> and, wait, what? <laughs> His water jug. Well, he, he was like, <laughs> I just picture this guy like sitting on a rocking chair with a jug, one of those brown jugs with XXX. <laughs> yeah, that's just water. He wanted him to poison him, and Danny was like, "I'm not killing your grandparents." Yeah, they're practically dead anyway. Yeah, like. I'm. I'm sorry. That's that's fucking weird. Yeah. For what, too? Like, just to own everything a little bit earlier? <laughs> well, because the grandparents were, like... More moral. Yeah. Yes. They were like, what's going on at our family... Yeah. They had questions. Funeral business. They did. <laughs> they didn't, They weren't even going to, like, report them or anything. They just had questions. They were questions. just interfering with David's plan. Yeah. <laughs> His vision. <laughs> he then told uh, Danny that he had poisoned Tim Waters and he also told him like, yeah, I took him to a restaurant, poisoned his drink when he got up from the table. I want you to do the same thing to my grandparents. I'm not saying, and I don't know what happens here. I'm not saying he didn't do it, but I could see him being the type of person who takes credit for something to scare other people. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I I mean, that's David's whole personality is like, I'm a strong guy. I'm a tough guy. Like I could see him being like, oh, I should take this opportunity to scare my workers. Right. By 1986, the cemetery board began investigating David's sconce. David refused to let them into his Pasadena, or excuse me, Altadena crematorium for an inspection. And that same year, a report at the San Diego Union was doing a piece on the sale of body parts to UC San Diego. Ooh. The reporter, a guy named Rex Dalton, received a tip that a woman named Lisa Carlin might be able to help him with his story. Lisa, if you don't remember, got into an altercation with David when she was working for him briefly at his tissue bank. Oh. And she was like, there's something weird going yeah. on here. And he was said behind her back, like, oh, I want to fucking kill her. Yeah. Or whatever. She told the reporter that she had been fired from the Coastal International Eye and Tissue Bank for her suspicions about the practices. She told about how David Sconce was selling gold teeth that he removed from the cadavers and about the mixed ashes. Not only did Lisa tell the reporter what, what she witnessed, but she also told the Department of Health and Services. Ooh. The department made a visit to inspect the tissue bank, but found no evidence of wrongdoing upon their visit. Lisa went to the police, but they were unable to search the premises because they didn't have a warrant. And that's because the department found no evidence of wrongdoing when they went to inspect. That same year, Lorianne Lamb drew suspicion during a routine examination from an auditor with the State Board of Funeral Directors and Embalmers when it was discovered that she hadn't reported income from 172 pre-need accounts. Now, pre-need accounts are people who are paying for their funeral services before they die. Okay. Like, we want you to take care of... Pre-need. Pre-need accounts. She was basically just given a slap on the wrist and told to fix the error. Yeah. The auditor, however, missed some of the other nefarious tax-related things that Lorianne was doing. Meanwhile, the residents of the small town near Bakersfield that David planned on opening his new crematorium at vehemently opposed the construction and held protests. Ooh. Like the town... They're like, we li- don't want that here. Literally picketed. Like, we don't want this to be a, cream- a cremation town. Well, it's probably like smoky too, right? Yes. So... That ended up leading to David being forced out of the area. He had to kill Bakersfield. 
<laughs> right. What are you going to kill all of Bakersfield, David? You know, he thought of it. I'm sure he was probably he did. furious. Dude, he was probably so mad. So David decided his new crematorium would be in Hesperia instead. Okay. Now, Hesperia is east of Pasadena, it's in San Bernardino County. So he's not yeah. doing the Northern California thing anymore. He's just making a new crematorium in Hesperia. Yeah. But this time he wouldn't tell people of Hesperia. He wouldn't tell the people of Hesperia that he was building a crematorium. He didn't, oh. he didn't want them. So they don't have to know? You don't have to tell people? Well, this is what David is doing. Okay. He's like, I'm not going to tell the people I'm making a crematorium. Yeah. I was nice last time. And see what happened. They yeah. protested. <laughs> they protested. I don't want the people of this small town yeah. to be scared away because right. I'm burning bodies over here. He said that his building was going to be used for manufacturing tiles. Oh. And he called the crematorium Oscar's Ceramics. Really? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's really going... Beyond. Desi, Desi, he's lying. Yeah. He's pretending this is a pottery. That's a kiln. This is a kiln. It's literally a kiln. Oh my God. He's erecting a kiln, but secretly it's actually a crematorium. Yeah. Crazy. The new crematorium was not equipped to be used as a crematorium. Oh no. It did not have the proper chimneys that were required. And he needs to keep it from the (laughs) top. It did not have the proper chimneys. You need these oh chimneys for the proper ventilation yeah. and purification of the smoke or whatever, the processing of the yeah. smoke, so that it doesn't cause a clusterfuck. Yeah. Like, you need these chimneys. He did not have that. Uh, these chimneys were responsible for eliminating the stench of burning flesh, for one thing. Ooh. So if so you the don't, people working inside would really be... Fucked up. Well, it's just mostly for outside. Oh, really? Well, yeah. But if the, the chimneys aren't working, wouldn't it be coming? Whoever's inside the building wouldn't be having good ventilation. I'm saying right? his chimneys did not eliminate the stench, right? But proper chimneys for a proper crematorium—that's what those chimneys help do. Oh, they do is help eliminate the stench. Okay. David intended to use Oscar Ceramics as an overflow facility. So this wouldn't be his prime crematorium. This would just be like, if we have extra cadavers, send them over to Oscars. Right. But one night in November of 1986, that all changed. Two of his workers at the Altadena Crematorium were smoking crack during their shift. (gasps) Crack? (laughs) This is an 80s story. (laughs) Okay. They decided to have a contest to see if they could break the record for most bodies piled into the ovens at once. Oh, my God. They did it. They got 38 bodies inside, and they lit the oven and then left. <gasps> they headed back to Bob Garcia's place to smoke more crack. You know, I had higher <laughs> expectations for two guys smoking crack. <laughs> 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 but the overstuffing of the oven led to a blockage, and the building erupted in flames. Oh, my God. The oven's... <laughs> The ovens were destroyed. Can you imagine being on crack and seeing that and be like, shit. No, they left before. I know, but like, just like for the cinematic version. Yeah. Like as they're leaving, they see it explode. And they're like, like that would be such a bad butt. <laughs> um, so, so David's fucking coastal cremation crematorium goes up in fucking flames. It's destroyed. 
The ovens are ruined. So now he has to use Oscar's ceramics. Oh, now it's the main place. Full time. He has no choice. The Well, he has choices. <laughs> he <laughs> just never makes any good choices. Right. Not according to David. The cremations done at this facility emitted a foul odor that blanketed the entire community. Oh, my God. Thick black smoke was pouring out of that small little chimney. I'm disgusted. Business owners in the area complained. David would be like, sorry, nothing I can do about it. That's just the way a kiln smells. (laughs) It's the clay's fault. It's the clay. It's all natural clay. Oh, my God. This reminds me... It's similarly out east um, in Irwindale, and people were complaining about the sriracha factory there. What? Really? Yes, because it had like a spicy smell in the Uh air. (laughs) But I just remember thinking, that sounds really good. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't mind like a sriracha smell, like, but I guess after, you know, if you smell it nonstop. So it was like this big battle between the people. So it's like, I'd rather have sriracha than dead body stench. Uh, Absolutely. In December, the fire marshal made an unexpected visit to Oscar's ceramics in the middle of the night after a neighbor reported flames coming from the chimney. No one was there, so the fire marshal broke in, put out the fire, and turned off the fuel. But on his way out the door, he noticed a large drum filled with ashes. He took some of the ashes with him and turned them over to the police to be examined. But the police told him that the remains were animal. Now... It seems like a bad idea that you would just leave the ovens burning without anyone watching them. <laughs> like that has to be a rule, right? That you, someone has to always be there monitoring them. I don't it know. It seems crazy. The thing I about, mean, not that they're following the rules. No, but yeah. The thing about Oscar ceramics is, uh, it's weird that no one was there at this time because they did all of their business at night. Yeah. To not be detected. Like they weren't. Oh, They did all of their burning of the cadavers at night. I see. So they were closed during the day, but I guess someone like, it was after they left for their night shift. A month later in January of 1987, a report was made to the San Bernardino County Fire Department. Richard Wales, an engineer at the San Bernardino Air Pollution Department, said that he thought that Oscar Ceramics was being used as a crematorium. (gasps) Wilbur Wentworth, the fire marshal, was like, I don't think so. (laughs) Wilbur Wentworth, I don't think so. (laughs) That's what he said. He said, I don't think so. Oh, my God. To which Richard replied, don't tell me I don't know what burning bodies smell like. I was in Auschwitz. What? (laughs) That's what he said. (gasps) Holy shit. That's dark. I mean, that is, you gotta hand, you, you can't deny that he knows what he's talking about. You really don't have a good comeback for that one. There's zero comeback. You can't, that one. you really put your foot in your mouth there. Oh my God. So he listened. He's like, all right, I'll take your claim serious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, rewind. <laughs> Richard Wales continued. He told the engineer that it wasn't just him complaining, there were some other people he might want to talk to as well. Richard brought two men, Joseph Westall and John Gallagher, into the fire marshal's office. Joseph was an investigator with the state cemetery board, and John was with the state funeral board. Joseph grew suspicious of David after he wouldn't let him inspect the Altadena crematorium. He wondered how he was making so much money if they only had two ovens. When the fire burnt the place down, he was like, okay, well, that business is over, and kind of put it out of his mind. But when he found out that David Sconce was still in business and cremating just as many bodies as before, he was like, 
where the fuck is he operating? Yeah. What? So this wasn't like legally with the board of funeral, like it was not registered as a crematorium at all. No, it was registered as a kiln. Yeah. He was like, I'm building a place to make tiles. Oh my God. So (laughs) he was also wondering like, how are they even burning like so many bodies if they're closed all day? Right. What's, what's going on here? Wentworth, the fire marshal, agreed to check out Oscar's ceramics, and they all got in his car and headed over there. But because it was daytime, no one was there. Later, Joseph Westall and John Gallagher went back on their own. Smoke was pouring out of the chimney. Someone was there. Joseph called Wentworth from a payphone and was like, get down here now. When he arrived, they saw a man approach the gate. It was David's employee, John Polarana. They identified themselves to Polarana, who was like, hold on, I have to talk to my boss. They then saw him walk to his car and open it and pick up a landline phone that was sitting on his dash and the cord was running all the way. (laughs) The cord was running all the way back to the... (laughs) Picked up a red Solo cup. It had a long streak. <laughs> he picked up this landline phone that he was pretending was a car phone. Oh, my God. And he called David and was like, what do I do? And David was like, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Can you imagine someone saying that to you? <laughs> he told David, um, he, David was like, how, like, when's the burn over? Like, how long is the burn been going? Can you finish it up before, right. they, before they go inside? Oh. And he's like, well, the burn's been going for four hours. And he's like, okay, that's not enough time. Like, yeah. it, it needed, I don't know, maybe five hours or six hours or something. And so David was like, can you stall them? Stall them for a few hours. Until yeah. the burn finishes so the evidence is gone. Um. But John couldn't stall them because he's like, this is a fire marshal and he has a right to go in even without a permit if there's flames. Yeah. Basically. So David told John to let them in, but to clean up as much shit as possible before they could get inside. When John Polarana went back to into the facility without any explanation, he just went back inside and then was there for 30 minutes. The guys waiting outside Wentworth. And the guys from the funeral board and Richard Wales, they were like, what, where did he go? Yeah. So they called for some deputies to come to the scene. Meanwhile, Paul Arana was inside trying to stuff clothing that had been on the cadavers into bags and hiding drums of ashes underneath a tarp. When police arrived and told him to come out, he knew it was over. Inside of the building was a mess. On the floor was a huge black pool of sludge which was later determined to be part diesel fuel and part fluids that are excreted when a body is burned. Of course, they found the drums of ashes and the remnants of clothing as they were just hiding underneath a tarp in the middle of the room. He improvised. (laughs) Inside of a cooler were charred remnants of human prosthesis. How do you say that word? Prosthesis? Prosthesis? Yeah. Okay, so like prosthetic leg parts yeah. and stuff. When they opened the pottery kiln that was being used as a cremation oven, a burning human foot fell out. That's dramatic. <laughs> Dude, this foot was on fire. <laughs> That's so crazy. And it fell out. I like how 
obviously the location is bad, but they didn't even run that very nice and neat. <laughs> like just in case something like this happened. Right. They didn't do anything to make it look nice and neat and above the board. It sounds like it was a pigsty in there. Yeah, it sounds awful. So like, what could this poor guy do? Not poor guy, but like what could he do? Like right, there was right. nothing. So at this point, Paul Arana asked if he could go. He's, He's like, like, I would want out of there so much. I was he, like, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> To be honest, I don't know the extent. He literally was like, can I go now? And they were like, get get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like they they just wanted David. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Nine days later, police knocked on Jerry Sconce and Lorianne Lamb Sconce's door with a search warrant. Lorianne followed the officers around their home while they searched, holding a Bible and reading scripture, condemning oh, the police for their for searching their apartment. <laughs> what passage is that? Like, what psalm is "Don't illegally search my apartment"? <laughs> Police found a collection of gold teeth downstairs in the funeral home, and Jerry and David were both arrested for theft. They were quickly bailed out. The sconces hired a high-powered attorney named Roger Diamond, but by this time, Lorianne's shady tax dealings were being brought to light. Danny Galumbos flipped on David, and he told the police that David told him he killed Tim Waters. David Edwards also flipped, and he told police the same thing. Edwards agreed to do a taped phone call with David. Though David didn't explicitly admit to killing Tim in the phone call or orchestrating the assaults on his business rivals, there were some statements that he made that made him sound suspicious. It was yeah. statements like just that he would only he would know or that, mm -hmm. but he didn't explicitly say. Right. But they were like, we can work with this. They couldn't prove that David murdered Tim Waters, but the prosecution was still going to investigate this to see if they could prove it, and right. as well as these assault allegations. By June of 1987, Lori Jerry, and David Sconce had a list of 41 charges being prepared against them. A few weeks later, that list grew to 67 charges. Whoa. Among those charges were all the shenanigans happening at the crematorium, but also David would be charged with solicitation of the murder of his grandparents Whoa. and for the assaults on his business rivals. At David's arraignment, the prosecutor presented the judge with a long list of charges against David. David was told earlier that his bail would be set at $5,000, but he didn't know that the prosecution had been preparing a case for the assault and murder solicitations. So at this arraignment, the judge raised the bail to $500,000, and David was fucking pissed. Of course. He thought he was going to be going home. Yeah. And he looked prosecutor Walt Lewis right in the face, and he said, you lied to me. <laughs> it was like a very intense, you lied to me. Yeah. 
At the preliminary hearing, the prosecutor had compiled a list of witnesses to testify against David. Among the witnesses were former employees, including Lisa Carlin, Dave Edwards, Danny Galambos, as well as rival business owner Richard Gray and friend of the hitman and employee Andre Augustine. The prosecutor feared David would flee the state if he were to be left out on bail because he had already... As soon after the raid on Oscar's crematorium, David went to Arizona for like... Okay. Until he... Yeah. Whatever. Uh, He went to Arizona for like a week or something. So the judge agreed that David was way too much of a flight risk and the charges against him were serious enough that, that his bail remained. The preliminary hearing for the sconces lasted eight months, which at the time was the longest in Pasadena's history for a hearing. Yeah, that's wrong. It finally ended in May of 1988, and all three sconces were ordered to stand trial. They were left, uh, the, Jerry and Lorianne, they were let out on bail, but David was remanded okay. until his trial. While David was locked up, he was charged with plotting to kill the prosecutor, Walt Lewis. David had written, Lewis will die on a wall in the jail. Because he lied. <laughs> <laughs> When interviewed about it and asked why he wrote this death threat, Walt Lewis will die, David corrected him and was like, no, I didn't say he, I didn't like do a death threat against him. This was part of a larger message that got erased by other inmates. This guy is such an idiot. What I meant to say was Lewis will die of AIDS. What? (laughs) What? He's like... That's not a death threat. Uh, so it's taken out of context. <laughs> so, so I'm just being an insensitive fuck. What the hell? I hate this guy. He said, uh, quote, it was stupid, but it was funny. Ugh. David was also accused of offering a fellow inmate $2,500 to give a false testimony in his defense. He also asked him to testify for his parents at their trial, too. So, like, David, we just gave you, like, three more charges (laughs) while you're awaiting trial. (laughs) You kids can't stop criming. (laughs) By August of 1988, the Ventura County Coroner's Office examined the samples that they had kept from Tim Waters' corpse and determined that he had traces of oleander in them. Oh. Poison can be made from oleander leaf extract. Yes. David would also be charged around this time with conspiracy to commit murder against Ellie Estefan. Right. The following year, in September 1989, an unexpected twist occurred. (gasps) David Sconce pled guilty to 21 charges, including mass cremations, mutilating corpses, and hiring hitmen to assault his business rivals. He was given a five-year sentence with time served, so he didn't have a lot of time left in jail. While David was serving out the rest of his sentence, he was charged with the murder of Tim Waters. But ultimately, it couldn't be proved, and the charges were dropped. Oh. David was released from jail in 1991. Shit. So he didn't do do the full five years. Five years seems small. He, yeah. I mean. Even if he, you know, like. That's like a small sentence for everything. And the charges against, uh, the charges for murder against 
Ellie Esteban, like the solicitation of murder, right. those ended up being dropped. He made like some insane plea deals. I just can't believe they took a plea deal with this guy. Why? Like, <sighs> I don't know. As for Jerry and Lorianne, they went to trial in 1992. The defense claimed his clients had no knowledge of their son's operations at the crematorium. One of the things they were also charged for was unlawful, unlawfully harvesting organs. Right. Um, there's lots of examples of this, but just one of them is that in November of 1986, Frank Holtzcamper died and his cadaver was to be cremated at Coastal Cremations. When the executor of his will, a woman named Carolyn Scholl, found out that his tissue had been donated, she was pissed. Yeah. She's like, I didn't... Sign off on that. I didn't sign off on that. She asked to see the consent form and then she looked at it and she's like, that's not even my handwriting. So... Also, not, not only was it not her handwriting, but her name wasn't even spelled right. Oh. So Lorianne was accused of forging signatures. Right. It wasn't enough that they were just like... Tricking them to sign stuff. Tricking them to sign stuff. Lorianne was also allegedly forging these consent forms if they couldn't... I mean, I definitely feel like Lorianne and Jerry are idiots who went along with this bullshit, but this is all David. Like, none of this would be happening at all, I think, without him. That's why it's so messed up to me that he isn't getting a ton of jail time for all of this stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I mean, Lorianne was cooking the books, and Jerry Sconce was a piece of work, but... I'm not even defending them necessarily, but it's like, they wouldn't have done this if David didn't make all this stuff happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he should be the one who gets the worst of everything. This is not good parenting. Oh, absolutely not. They should have told their son, no, we don't do that. Yeah, they're messed up. A civil suit was filed and families of the deceased who had their loved ones cremated at the Lamb Funeral Home between 1980 and 1987, they were awarded $15 million. Whoa. But it was split between a lot of people. Right. But they were, I mean, they did win the civil suit. The lawyer representing the families estimated there to be between sixteen to 20,000 families affected. Damn. Within that time period. And where is this money coming from? Well, $5 million came from the Lamb Funeral Home and the other $10 million, gosh, I forget where it so, came from. But maybe they had insurance or something? I, I forget where it came from, but I know that only $5 million came from right. the land. Maybe they had to sell assets or something. A mistrial was declared in the Sconce, Sconce's trial in Jerry and Lorianne, and they would go on trial again in 1995 where they were found guilty, and they spent a couple years in prison. Oh. Now, David, though he got out in 1991, that was not his final brush with the law. Of course. He had several more brush. I mean, he could not follow his probation. Uh, That was a big... So he was violating parole. He was violating parole. He was not... um, He was selling fake bus tickets at one point. Wow. He got arrested for that. In the bus ticket business. (laughs) He's now in the fake bus ticket business. He got in trouble because he moved to Montana when he wasn't supposed to leave the state. Oh. So he's still just being David. He's doing what he wants to do. He's doing David. Yeah. He's in prison right now. For what? Violating his parole. Oh. He's currently, uh, he's uh, like, I read this article about this case on Topic, and it said he's set to be released in 2022. Shit. He's someone who'll be back in within like a year. 
Yeah, I think he just likes doing crimes. He just can't do things on the straight and narrow. Like he's always going to want to try to grift something. Yeah. Interesting. So that's the Lamb funeral home story. It's so crazy. It's such an... I don't know how they haven't made this a movie yet. It's shocking to me. Or even a TV, like a Something. limited series. It is shocking to me because this world is so weird and every character name is so crazy. Like, just every detail is beyond. Dude, the binoculars outside the gas station, I lost it when I read that. It's so... It's such a, like, weird combination of something that's so evil, but also so comically, like, inept at the same time. Like... It's incredible incredible to me that this funeral business, these boards of ethics that monitor shit are so inept as well. Like that this that this went on for so long. Oh yeah. Like the whole thing is just so crazy to me. Like <laughs> Well, and they never reinvestigated the case of uh that Ron guy, Ron Jordan, who was found hanged in his apartment. Oh. Right. They never reinvestigated that. They were like thinking about exhuming him at one point, but it just didn't happen. So it's still officially ruled suicide. Okay. Even though like people are like, oh, that sounds like something David would do. Well, he said that like second, but that day. It was like hours before it happened. That's weird. Totally weird. And then he just got away with like the charges against Tim Waters. They were dropped like all those like attempted murder and maybe murder. I think it's like, cause they, the Tim Waters was declared like heart disease or something. Right. Yeah. So I think it's really hard to go from that. Like once it's all sort of settled and then the, the, the oleander poisoning is just like, because then there was the uh, defense attorneys for that case uh, that they said, well, we determined there wasn't any traces. Okay. I mean, there's just like, there's, you can see why those charges were dropped. Like, I don't find it particularly outrageous. No, no. Um, But I find it outrageous that he only got five years for everything else. And I don't know why they made a plea deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he turned in other funeral people or just like, it seems like a no brainer that he did that stuff, (laughs) but maybe it's just not that big of a crime. Yeah, you know? I mean, it is an interesting story. Uh, again, the book that I read for this case is called A Family Business, and it's by Ken Englade. It's a good book. It's very detailed. It's it's a long one. Um, yeah, final thoughts, Desi? Um, I think we have to post a picture of, what's his face? David? David, David yeah. Sconce? We have to see David Sconce. I'll post a picture this week. I can't, I still haven't looked it up. So I have like an image in my head, which is probably completely wrong. Well, but, remember in episode one, we said, people said, oh, he looks like Paul Newman. He does not look like Paul Newman. Oh, right. Yeah. Does, I wasn't thinking uh, Paul Newman. Does he technically <laughs> have blue blue eyes and blonde hair? Yes, but he does not look like Paul Newman. No, no, absolutely not. Okay. Well, we'll see you guys on Friday. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.